You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, Mission family. You may be seated. Uh, It's a privilege to be with you. It's a privilege to be with those who are online as well. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series on It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Um, It's the month of May, at least here in the U.S., is Mental Health Awareness Month. And uh, I'm really proud of the fact that our church is willing to take this issue on. Historically, uh, within the Christian church, and perhaps particularly within the evangelical church, this has sort of been a taboo topic, uh, something that doesn't get talked about. And uh, I love the fact that we can see it it in Scripture and begin to understand it more and uh, how to make progress in it in our own lives. Um, Today we'll be talking about the topic of depression, and I know um, as we've done each of these sermons in this series that the person speaking has shared their own mental health journey related to the topic, and I'm going to do the same. It's a little bit different, um, but it may actually connect with some of you in terms of what you may have experienced as well, and that uh, my own experiences with symptoms of depression you know, weren't uh, clinical or weren't diagnosed, but it was a very real part of my life or a particular part of my life. And uh, for me, uh, the period where I struggled the most with the uh, symptoms of depression was when I was in my late teens and early 20s. And uh, my wife and I were, we were dating at the time. And so um, I just, I'd have these Friday nights where I'd go like AWOL. I would be completely, uh, did not want to connect with friends, did not want to connect with Jody. Um, I would be, I just would feel so down, so discouraged, uh, wiped out, deflated. I would sort of go off on my own and not be, want to be with it. I would sort of go off on my own, anybody else. And, um, Jody and I, we began to call it, I, I'd call it feeling Friday night-ish. And so that was sort of our definition for it. It was really interesting though, because the fact that we were able to sort of define it and talk about it uh, and call it something helped me recognize that it wasn't really a very healthy way to deal with how I was feeling. And as I've gone through life since then, as I've dealt with some of those things and some of the causes for it at that time, uh, I've struggled with this less and less uh, so there's only the occasional time now that I feel Friday night-ish, um, but it was definitely a very real part of my life. I was thinking a little bit as I was preparing for this, like, why would I have experienced this? And I do think that part of the reason for it was very biological, right? It was uh, connected to what's going on hormonally in an adolescent uh, uh, individual, and it it really, because of the role that hormones play, I mean, it's the same kinds of reasons that uh, women can feel uh, depressed and postpartum depression or perimenopausal depression. I mean, it's, there's a definite biological connection to what's going on. And for uh, an adolescent, their brain is actually bathed with hormones up to three times in a day that would be like what a woman experiences during her period. So and there's a lot going on in your teenager. And there was a lot going on. I was the typical teenager that way. Uh, What's interesting, too, about it is that boys' brains continue to develop all the way up into their early 20s, and now they're actually thinking maybe even later in the 20s uh, for boys' brains developing. So I do think that part of what I was experiencing was definitely related to biological reasons, Uh, but it was more than that. Uh, There was things going on uh, spiritually and emotionally that contributed to it as well. Um, I lacked balance in my life. I was very driven. I was very big on projecting success, particularly socially, that I sort of had my act together. And so that was what I always wanted to project uh, to others. Uh, Like every college student, I wasn't doing a very good job getting sleep. Um, That was not a priority for me. 
And my relationship with God was mixed. I was really good at needing God when I sort of needed him or wanted him. Uh, but I wasn't really big on a real relationship because a relationship is about always being in relationship. And so it was a very uh, a difficult time. And I believe a lot of that contributed to the feelings of depression that I had as well. And as you know, my future wife, Jody and I were uh, dating at the time, but as we talked about it and defined it, it allowed me to begin to get my hands around it and recognize I need to make some changes. And so for me, some of those changes were prioritizing getting enough sleep, uh, creating the right boundaries and balance in life and seeking to have a real relationship with God and not just a when I need him kind of a relationship. Um, one thing we haven't really, I think, talked about much in this sermon series is why do we experience mental health issues? Why do we experience uh, depression, for example? And I, I think it's important to sort of understand why these mental illnesses exist because we have a tendency, like we recognize, yes, there's cancers and there's broken bones and there's acne and and when it comes to mental health issues, we sort of put it all in this other category and not want to really consider it and think about how does it relate to all this. And I think to understand it, we need to start at the beginning. So God created us as human beings in his image. Uh, there was something special about who we are as people because we're made uh, as uh, a unique part of his creation. So everything that God had created, he spoke into existence, but then it actually describes in scripture that he goes through a different plot process for the creation of man, mankind. He planned and executed it in a different kind of way. First, it describes the fact that within the Godhead, within the Trinity, there's this conversation that goes on. It says, let us make man in our image. So there's something unique and different, not just in the, the product, but in the process that goes on for the making of man. And, uh, and it describes man unique to the rest of creation. It says that man was made out of the dust of the earth. So there's something special about who we are as human beings, special in our relationship. And part of that was the fact that there were moral entities. We had the chance, the choice to make moral decisions. And unfortunately, not very long after that point, man makes a choice. Uh, man and woman were, woman were in the garden and they were tempted by Satan and chose to disobey God. And at that moment where they ate of the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, at that very moment, the world fell. They fell, the world fell. And we sort of see the, the nature of the fact that it wasn't just humankind that takes on this, this uh, you know, the sin nature that came in that moment, but that all of nature falls because in the curse that God gives them, God says that you are now gonna need to work by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles are gonna grow up and choke out what you're trying to grow. So we can see that the whole world fell at that moment. And... Um, in that fall, there were four relationships where it fractured. And, uh, and just, just to understand that a little bit more, the, the relationship between God and man is broken, is fractured because of this fall, because of the presence of sin. And we see that right away, right? Adam and Eve, uh, the, after they sin, God comes to meet them in the garden. And what do they do? They hide. They hide because they know that God can't have sin in his presence. And so there's this, there's this guilt. So there's fracturing in the relationship between God and man. Uh, the second relationship to fracture in the fall was the relationship between man and man. And you see this within one generation, right? Adam and Eve's children, Cain kills Abel. And so there's this you know, horrific fracturing of the relationship between man and man. But even in the moments after uh, Adam and Eve's sin, we see it because when God confronts Adam, what does he do? He blames Eve. There's a breakdown in what the relationship is supposed to be like. 
Third fracturing of relationship happens between man and the environment. Man was created to be in a special relationship with nature, with the environment around him. We see this because God charges the man with the task of naming the animals. He places them in a special garden and says, this is for you, for you to care for. And what happens after the fall? Um, as I shared before, there's uh, got part of God's curse is that the fact that you thorns and thistles are now gonna come and choke out what you're trying to grow. Your life has been easy in terms of gathering food. Now it will be difficult. And so there's this fracturing in the relationship. And we see this to this day where we as humankind do not do a really good job with living up to God's charging of us to be stewards, to be caretakers of his environment. And then, the uh, fourth fracturing of a relationship happens between man and himself. And this is sort of the source of mental health issues that we face. When we think about things like uh, depression and anxiety and, and other mental health related issues, uh, the source of these come in this fracturing of the relationship between man and himself. Things are not the way that they are meant to be. And uh, in a way, it's mankind's fault because we chose sin, uh, but it shouldn't surprise us. And so I think a lot of times as believers, we, we recognize you know, cancers and broken bones and, and acne and all these other parts of being in a broken, fallen world, but we neglect the fact that out of that same source, out of the same fracturing of relationships because is a source of those mental health issues that we face as human beings. And so I think a lot of times as Christians, we sort of put them in their own category, don't wanna talk about them, think there's something hugely flawed in them. And it shouldn't be a surprise. The same bodies that have all these other physical issues are gonna have issues with the mind as well. The one thing I do wanna share though before we jump into scripture on this is just to understand a little bit as we talk about this because I think sometimes when you hear a message on this, you can walk out of here and think, well, I ought to be able to take care of my own problems. Like, you know, Brian told me he did a better job getting sleep. I just need to do a better job getting sleep. You need to understand that I believe that when it comes to things like depression, there's a continuum. And across that continuum are gonna be a range of symptoms and issues and depth of what you're dealing with. And on one end of it, it may be extremely debilitating and you're barely able to function and you're not able to do it without pharmaceutical help working through a psychiatrist. And then maybe on the other part of it is every once in a while you feel Friday night-ish and you know, there's this continuum and you may work with a counselor or a therapist at some points in this continuum as well. And, and all of that's natural and part of it in terms of what we're dealing with. So we're gonna look today uh, at an example from scripture of um, an individual experiencing depression. And I think even for this, like growing up in the church that I grew up in, we never looked at the Bible and realized, hey, people are feeling this way because we didn't talk about it, right? But there's lots of examples in scripture. And I wanna point to uh, begin today looking at Psalm 42. Thanks to Jason, we're actually gonna look at it from the New Living Translation, so there you go. Psalm chapter 42, we're gonna read it together. Psalm 42, beginning at verse one. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. 
Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan from the land of Mount Miser. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So you read that passage. Obviously, this guy's feeling symptoms of depression, right? And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why is the psalmist? Why is the author of this psalm so feeling depressed? And I think there's three reasons that the psalmist feels the way he does that connect to the same kinds of reasons that we might feel depressed as well. First of all, uh, there's a sense of separation from God. We see this in verse 9. Oh God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Right, so the, the, the psalmist believes at this moment that he's separated from God and, and, and that's part of how we can often, reasons, one of the reasons we can often feel depressed as well. Now, sometimes there's a real fracturing in the relationship, not because God has changed, but because we've moved away from God in some kind of way. We have stuff in our life that we shouldn't be engaging in and because we are, it creates a separation from God. And so that sense of feeling of, of, of being separated from God is real. But sometimes it's just a matter of what's going on with us in terms of symptoms as well. Oftentimes as a believer, our moments of greatest depression make us think that God has somehow abandoned us. It's this immense feeling of being alone, of thinking that no one cares, including God. Second reason why the psalmist feels depressed relate to what I call external forces. And one of those external forces is the people that are in his life, right? We see this in verse three. Uh, my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? Uh, and then again in verse 10, their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? So part of who we are as human beings is we live to be in relationship with others, right? And uh, the, those relationships with others, when we miss, um, when we have the wrong emphasis in them, we're, we're overly desirous of having the favor, the goodwill, the camaraderie, the pats on the back and all that kind of stuff from other people. And when we don't get that, when, when some of these people actually turn on us, it becomes a source of, of depression in our lives, of, of feeling down because of how and what these other people are doing to us. And for the psalmist, and even for us as well, there's probably nothing deeper, nothing hurts more than when we're attacked at the place where we're most vulnerable, where we put the most emphasis, and that's in our belief and relationship with God. And so for the psalmist, he's being attacked on this very point of his relationship with God, and it leads to his feelings of depression. Um, however, that's not the only external force that the uh, psalmist talks about in this passage. The psalmist also indicates that sort of the storms of life, and we see this in verse 7, the tumult of the raging seas, uh, the waves surging in tides that sweep over me. And so there, there's this picture of the fact that uh, life is difficult and all these bad things are happening to me, and this is part of the source of why I feel down and why I feel depressed. And that's not surprising, right? It's the same thing for us, 
A lot of times when we feel depressed and we're experiencing symptoms of depression, it's because we look at the mess that's in the world around us, the, the brokenness, the fallenness, the hurt, the pain that's there, and our response to it is it, we tend to dwell on it more than we should. We tend to not reflect on it the way we should, but it tends to draw us and put us in the same place where the psalmist is at and uh, feelings of depression result. Third thing that I think we see in this passage, and, and it relates to sort of how we deal with these feelings that we have, right? And, and that's the nature of the fact that there tends to be a cycle to how we deal with stuff. And so, uh, and, and at times, it really becomes a downward spiral, spiral, right? Just think about it this way. I feel depressed or down. I reflect on the fact that really my life isn't that bad and I shouldn't feel this way about it and God's been good to me. But then I still feel that way. So then now I'm actually worse because now I'm feeling guilty that I felt this way when I know that things shouldn't be that way. And so it becomes this downward spiral and is how do I get out of it? And as you read this Psalm, it sort of goes in that direction, right? He, he talks about feeling one way and well, God did this. I really shouldn't feel this way. Yeah, I do feel this way. And you can go to sense of the spiral that exists uh, that many of us can experience when it comes to depression as well. So then we're left with this question. What does the psalmist do about this? What's, what's, the, what's the answer from the psalmist to deal with these feelings of depression that you and I may be experiencing as well? And we see four things in this passage that I think are really critical for us in terms of working through our feelings and experiences of depression. First of all, the psalmist remembers the way that things used to be and including his spiritual highs. And we see this uh, in verse four. He says, I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. I think this does a couple things. First, what it does, when we reflect on the way that things used to be, we're also reflecting on the fact that where we are right now doesn't have to be where we're gonna end up. It can be back to what it was before, right? And there's this process for doing that that I think is, is really important in it. So uh, we begin to understand that these, uh, these moments of spiritual high, we can look back to and hold on to that they can be part of our future as well. The other thing I think that's really interesting with this is because, and again, this relates to sort of what our evangelical church has done with this topic is we think when we come into church and we do that worship time in the beginning that it, it ought, ought, ought to always be the spiritual high for us, right? If somehow I didn't get there and feel this great feeling of closeness to God and closeness with my fellow Christians that somehow it's a failure, it's probably my problem and, and leave us in that situation. Well, here's a psalmist who's just written this amazing part of scripture that God spoke through him to do and he's reflecting on the fact that I don't always feel that way. And guess what, guys? It's okay that we don't always feel that way as well, even on Sunday morning, even when the, the singer is trying to lead us into it, right? Um, second thing, uh, and this, I will say this before I say this point, it's just amazing sometimes when we do a, a message and a, ser a service, I should say, and the service works together and you realize that something bigger than my little part of it's working together because what Jason shared earlier uh, relates to this point, the song about midnight uh, you know, that we sang is gonna relate to the next point after this. I mean, just as incredible how all this works together. The second thing the psalmist does though to deal with these feelings of depression that he's experiencing uh, is he reminds himself of what is true. 
We see this in um, verse eight as an example. It's actually over and over in here again, but he says, each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And so there's a recognition in that of something that's true. And why is that important? It's because when we're in times of depression, uh, we are believing a lie. You know, we are, we're, uh, we are not giving ourselves an accurate view of the world around us. What are the kinds of things we're saying? Everybody hates me. Life sucks. Woe is me, right? Those are the kinds of things that we're saying, the self-talk that's going on in those times where we're feeling depressed. And, and the psalmist gives us a great model of how we counteract that, how we deal with it by recounting, by reflecting on what is true. And that's really critical. Third thing that the psalmist does. So the psalmist has, has um, you know, recognized the fact that um, I, I've had these spiritual highs in the past and that what I'm experiencing now isn't the way it is always going to be. Uh, reflecting on the fact that I need to, to uh, recognize what is true, not be caught in the lie that is often part of our depression. Uh, and then the third thing that the psalmist does is that this is recognition that prayers and singing are part of his efforts in terms of dealing with his depression, right? He says, through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. That was um, second half of verse eight. That just really struck me when we were singing that song, Midnight, because that's exactly what was being pictured uh, in that particular song. And the reason for this is that when we're feeling down, when we're feeling depressed, we have a desperate need to connect with God. And how, what's the model that God has given us in scripture for connecting with him? It's through prayer and through worship. Prayer is our talking to God, uh, listening to God. Uh, worship is reflecting on God for who he really is, uh, oftentimes done through singing. And, uh, and so that's the model that the psalmist gives us. He, he's praying and singing as he deals with his uh, feelings of depression. And then finally, the fourth strategy that the psalmist pursues is a recognition of God for who God really is, specifically my Savior. And we see this in verse 11, right? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Savior, the word is a redeemer of sin, saver of souls. Um, and this shouldn't surprise us that this is where we, where the psalmist sort of ends up on this point, right? Because we, we talked a little bit earlier in this sermon about the fact that the, the depression, the feelings, that the mental health issues and challenges that we have are a product of the fall or a product of sin, a product of the broken, fractured relationship within us, between our, us and ourselves. Um, so that there's a desperate need for a savior. And we're so good at recognizing that when it comes to our relationship with God, right? It makes complete sense. I'm a sinful individual. I'm in desperate need of a savior. He's made a way for me to be in relationship with him uh, by the provision of his son, Christ, right? So our sin needed to be paid for, needed to be covered. And God provides that by sending his son Jesus to earth. Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And at the end of his life, when he hung on the cross, God poured out on him the sins of the entire world. So your sin, my sin, were all poured out on Christ at that moment. And, and Christ paid the price for our sins. And so when we ask for forgiveness for God, uh, after when we recognize who we are as individuals and ask for forgiveness, God says, hey, that sin has already been covered. That sin has already been paid for. Your relationship with me has now been restored. And so we understand that message of the need for a savior when it comes to our relationship with God. But that savior works in all of our relationships that allows me to be at peace with my fellow man. It allows me to have a better understanding of what it means to be a steward of the world God has put us in. 
person. And then it also allows me to begin to heal those relationships, that fractured relationship between me and myself, that self uh, where sin has gotten a hold of us, where our mental health challenges come from. And this doesn't mean that the moment I accept Christ as Savior, I'm going to be instantly cured of all of my mental health related issues. I'm not. We are still broken, fallen individuals. Still, Our bodies are still marred by sin. And, uh, but it begins a process of healing. The same way the Holy Spirit deepens our relationship with God, we have the opportunity to grow and heal in our, our mental health related issues as well. Let's close in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you are the Savior, Lord. We thank you that people in scripture feel the same things that we feel. And whether it's uh, feelings of depression that we talked about today, Lord, it just would ask that we would be able to put into practice in our own lives what the psalmist describes of, of uh, recognizing that there's been times of spiritual highs in the past and there will be in the future, that our current situation doesn't define who we are forever. Uh, Lord, that there's truth that we need to be uh, holding on to and we need to repeat to ourselves rather than the lies that our minds want to tell us at times. And, and Lord, the, the whole um, idea that our praise and worship, our prayers to you are part of our, our method of overcoming our feelings of depression that we have. And then finally, that our desperate need for you as Savior and that, that moment we accept you, there begins this healing process in who we are as individuals, including our mental health-related issues, Lord. I just would ask that you would allow each person here to see today their desperate need for a Savior, Lord, and to begin that real process of healing. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.